Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Lydia was one who worshipped God, and the Lord opened up her heart to be able to heed the things that were spoken by the Apostle Paul. She received the gospel message, she received the hope of the gospel, and so she received the knowledge of the forgiveness of her sins, and in obedience to the Word of God, she and her household were baptized. When you're willing to hear someone out, your heart becomes soft to what they have to share. In today's passage, Pastor David speaks about a woman who already had a basic idea of God, but she was receptive to what Paul and his missionary team imparted to her. She was known for much material possession, but that wasn't where her focus was fixed. She realized something far greater than the things she could acquire financially. She chose what would last past her riches. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 16 as he begins his message, Possessed by God or by the World. is what's known as a historical book. The Gospels also in the New Testament are historical books. They're they're telling the story of events and of people through a process of time, filled with individuals who had been touched by the message, by the hope of the gospel. Some of the names we know, they've been written down. Some of the names we follow through in other places in our New Testament, they're very popular to us. Some of the names are only mentioned once, and some of the people, we don't even have their names at all. But again, their story is given to us. It really doesn't matter whether or not man knows your name. The most important thing is whether or not your name is listed in the Lamb's Book of Life. That again, your relationship with Jesus Christ is such that your name has been listed in that Lamb's Book of Life. So at the end of your life, you'll stand before God, not as your judge, but God as your loving Heavenly Father. That's the most important thing. Well, here in Acts 16, as we're moving on into these passages, we're going to be looking at three other people this morning. Uh, And a couple of their families, some of these names we believe because of the testimony of what uh, Luke writes for us in the book of Acts, we believe that their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We believe that they are saved. They've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Their sin is forgiven because in faith they've turned to Christ. Uh, Again, so some of them we know their names, some of them we don't. One of the individuals, the first one we'll be looking at, is actually a woman by the name of Lydia, 
She was a seller of purple garments in the city of Philippi. We find out again from what Luke writes, she's actually from the city of Thyatara. Thyatara is actually across the Aegean Sea in the area of Turkey. Well, where she lives is in what is known as Macedonia in Philippi. There's another individual we're gonna be looking at, a young slave girl. This slave girl remains nameless. We have no idea what her name is. And it's interesting, again, even in her life, we see that God has done a work. Now, we don't know if her name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We don't know if she's a believer, if she, uh, again, received Christ. But we do know that God moved in her life, he touched her, and he impacted her life pretty dramatically. Again, she was demon-possessed, and through the work and the ministry of the Apostle Paul and the power of the Spirit of God, that demon was removed from her. What happened to her after that We don't know, but you know what? God knows, and that's the most important part of it all. The third one is an individual that he's only known by his occupation, and we know him as the Philippian jailer. And again, of the three of these individuals, at least two of their families, Lydia's family and the Philippian jailer's family, their families were also touched. Their families were also changed, again, by the message, by the hope of the gospel, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And how all of this comes about, just as today, when God moves in lives and draws men and women and young people to himself, it is a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. It's not the logic of man. It's not suddenly that man determines what he needs to do. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that draws the lost to himself, revealing Christ to them. Then man makes that determination to receive that forgiveness. So we're in the book of Acts, and we're actually going to back up a little bit. So look back with me, if you would, in Acts chapter 16. We're going to look, we'll start out with verse 6. Luke writes to us here, now when they, and he's speaking of the missionary team of now Paul and Silas and uh, young Timothy is now with them. And a little bit later, and we'll look at it in a moment, uh, Luke joins with them. But for right now, it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. How do we answer the question of how our response is when God is acting in a way that we didn't figure was going to happen? There was an expectation in our life that God was moving one way and then suddenly it changes. Or when God says to us in our life a definite no, You know, we believe he's moving here, but then God says no. How do we deal with that? The best thing that we can do is, number one, the most important thing is simply trust in the Lord. Just trust in the Lord. Know that his plans are more complete than ours will ever be. I mean, we figure things on our own logic, on our own experience, and and what we think is going to happen. But we need to, again, trust God, God who is over all of it, that he has a greater plan. Secondly, we need to then wait patiently for him while, again, he does that work, that work that is either he's going to work around us in the issues that are going on, or the work that he does in us or through us as he changes our life, 
And how many of you know, sometimes he doesn't work even in spite of us, amen? But we've got to wait on the Lord. We cannot rush forward without knowing that we're being led by the Spirit of God. Again, they tried to go into Asia. The Holy Spirit stopped them. They tried to go to Bithynia. The Holy Spirit stopped them. What a catastrophe that would have been if Paul and the team had gone against the will and the plan and the purpose of God. Could people have been saved? Maybe, But again, it would not have been the work that God had planned at that point in time. The third thing we need to do to remember here is also remember that we can't even begin to compare our plans and our logic with, again, what God has planned and what God is doing and what he is moving in his own schedule. Trust in the Lord. Wait patiently on him. We spoke about that last week. So with that in mind, Let's now move forward into verse eight. So the word says, so passing by Mycenae, they came to Troas, and Troas is a coastal city on the western shores of uh, Turkey. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after Paul had seen the vision, Immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now again, Troas, as I said, major Roman city there on the western side of Turkey, on the shores of the Aegean Sea. During the first century, the population of Troas was about 100,000 individuals. It had become a Roman colony uh, through the decree of Caesar Augustus. A little bit later on, actually about... uh, 250 years or so after Paul uh, was there and the team was there during the time of uh, the Roman Emperor Constantine. Constantine actually had thought and tried to move the center of the Roman Empire from Rome to Troas, but uh, that plan didn't uh, come through during his time as emperor. Now, as big a city, as important city as Troas was even at that time, there's no doubt that Paul and that missionary team, they could have had a powerful impact there in Troas. With that many people, just the ability to be able to go ahead and set up camp right here. Let's begin our missionary journey right here. What a great place to begin a campaign for the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? No, at least not at that time. Why? Because that's not where God had them to stay. That's not where God called them to plant and begin that ministry. Is that because God didn't care about the people of Troas? Well, of course not. God did care and does care about those people. But God had, again, an appointment, I believe particularly with the three individuals that we spoke about earlier. Lydia, the slave girl, and that Philippian jailer. Now, it moves on beyond that definitely as, again, the missionary team continues over there. But right now, the first individuals that they're going to be talking to and ministering to are those three. Apparently, uh, the missionary team, they had not received any word from the Lord while they were in Troas to do anything in Troas. We don't know how long they were there, but uh, Paul received that vision during the night that man from Macedonia appearing to him, pleading, urging him to travel across the Aegean Sea over to the area that's called Macedonia. He says, come over and help us. First of all, to kind of help you to understand where Macedonia is, Macedonia is the southeasternest most 
Is that a good word? Southeasternest most uh, portion of Europe. It would be Greece and uh, Bulgaria and a little bit of the, uh, eastern Serbia. That's the area that's known as Macedonia. So after hearing the vision, we find out that the team didn't waste any time at all. Uh, they, they didn't send a messenger back to the home church in Antioch. Hey, we really feel that God is calling us to leave Troas, leave uh, this area, and move on over to Macedonia. No, they didn't do that. They knew for certain that the Holy Spirit was calling them, and so as they felt his calling to lead them to Macedonia, they went ahead and got everything together for that move. Verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. That means it's a Roman colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So again, they were in Troas, they're on the Turkey coastline, set sail across the Aegean Sea, set their direction toward Samothrace. Samothrace is uh, simply an island in the middle of the Aegean Sea. It's got some high peaks. You can see it uh, from far away. It becomes a navigational point. They sailed by that, went on to Neapolis. Neapolis was a, actually a, a port city for uh, Philippi. Neapolis wasn't a huge city because of the, again, the, the terrain, the topography there, but it was a great port city. Just up the road there a bit would be Philippi. Uh, Philippi, uh, as Luke says, the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a Roman colony. A Roman colony means that they enjoyed a great history. They enjoyed an ongoing reputation. It was an important city for that area. More than 400 years prior to the time that Paul and this mission team uh, walked into the city of Philippi. The area had been overrun and actually conquered by Philip of Macedon. Okay, and you'll know Philip of Macedon actually by his son, a guy that you've probably heard of, Alexander the Great. Okay, so it was Alexander the Great's father that came through, took over the city, and because he was a very humble, very unassuming man, he changed the name of the city to Philippi. Uh, so everybody would know who it was that conquered the area. Well, later on, uh, during that time, after the time that uh, Philip of Macedon and, and Alexander the Great, the Greeks had come, it became a Roman domination city uh, in around 168 BC. And by 31 BC, uh, it was actually granted the status as a Roman colony. Now that's a big deal uh, for the Roman Empire when a city becomes a Roman colony because not only do they set outposts there. A lot of money from Rome comes there for the establishment and for the beautification. It becomes, in essence, a little Rome, uh, the layout of the city and everything. As a matter of fact, history tells us that Philippi became a pretty major retirement city of a number of military veterans. They would finish their tour of duty or their life in the military of the, of the Roman army, and they could retire there in Philippi. Philippi had a beautiful climate not too far from the Aegean Sea. It had a number of excellent golf courses, some, um, some, of, the, some of the best uh, all-you-can-eat buffets that were there. Uh, no, they didn't have any uh, golf courses, and uh, Golden Corral had not been invented yet. But it was 
it was a beautiful place. There were a lot of retired military that were there in Philippi living out the remaining uh, years of their life. As the missionaries got settled into this city, uh, there's no doubt they sought out the local synagogue. That's what Paul did. When he got into a city, he would search out the synagogue because that's where he would always go first and again, try to open up the gospel to the Jews there in the synagogue. Well, one of the rules of Judaism is, is if there's not 10 actively involved Jewish men in the city, you can't have a synagogue. You have to have at least 10 actively involved Jewish men in order to have the synagogue. And apparently there was not a synagogue there in all of Philippi, as big a city as it was. And we'll actually see that a little bit later when we get into the event dealing with the Philippian jailer and how Paul and Silas ended up in jail, why there weren't at least 10 Jewish men because of the hatred, I believe, of the Jews in that city. One of the things we do know that, again, as Paul went through there, undoubtedly he probably uh, investigated, he probably asked questions, hey, is there a Jewish synagogue? Are there any Jews in the area? Because uh, Paul wanted to make that connection. Somehow, some way, they found out that on the Sabbath, down by the river, uh, there would be some women that were praying. And so, again, on a regular basis, they would go down there, particularly on the Sabbath. So Luke tells us that on the Sabbath day, they, the missionary team, they went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made and they sat down and began to speak with the women that met there. Now, we don't know how large of a group that is. We don't know if there was two or three, uh, 300. We, we just don't know. Just a group of women that were there that were praying. How many of these women were Jewish? We don't know. There's a good possibility that none of them were Jewish, but that they were God-fearers. And again, we've shared as we've gone through the book of Acts, uh, men like Cornelius, the uh, Roman centurion, if you remember, he was a God-fearer. He had not proselytized over to Judaism. He was still a Roman Gentile, but he loved the God of Israel. He worshiped the God of Israel. So very likely, these are Gentile women, just like Lydia is, but they are God-fears as they come there to pray and to encourage each other. Uh, again, the one woman that Luke makes clear is there is the woman by the name of Lydia. And again, she's not a Jew. She is a Gentile, but she is a God-fear. Look at verse 14. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. In other words, she listened as Paul and these missionaries were sharing. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. So as a missionary team, they came down to the river, sat down, began sharing with these women. Uh, undoubtedly, the apostle Paul, as he began to share the hope of the gospel, the reality and the truth of Jesus Christ, again, his ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension to the Lord, the teachings of Jesus, as he began to share this and how the Old Testament prophets tied all of these things together, the Lord began to move. 
particularly in the heart of this one woman by the name of Lydia. And even with what little bit we get from Luke's report about Lydia, we do realize she's a pretty unique woman. First of all, he tells us that she is a, she is a businesswoman. She is a seller of purple there, and she's from the city of Thyatara seller of purple from the city of Thyatara, located back in the area of Turkey across the Aegean Sea. Sometime in her life, she moved from that area, came over to Philippi. Now, Thyatara, it's kind of interesting. There was probably a lot of Jews in Thyatara, at least historically and from what we get historically, there were a lot of Jews in Thyatara. One of the other things about Thyatara, it was a very busy uh, area of commerce. There was a lot of business that was going on in Thyatara. Now, whether there were a lot of Jews because there was a lot of business, or rather there was a lot of business because there were a lot of Jews, we don't know. But there was a lot of Jews and a lot of business that was going on in Thyatara. Uh, the archaeologists, they found inscriptions mentioning that there were wool workers, there were linen workers, there were makers of outer garments, they were dyers. Uh, again, that's what Lydia did, the dyeing of clothes. Uh, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, there weren't any candlestick makers that we found, but uh, potters, bakers, slave dealers, and bronze smiths. All of that going on in the city of Thyatara, and that's where Lydia was from. So in particular, this idea of the, the, the dyeing of clothes and the purple dye that Lydia was involved with, that was of great value. It was very expensive clothes when they were dyed in the color purple, uh, primarily associated with royalty because of the cost. Um, the making of the purple dye, very time-consuming, very labor-intensive. The color um, was extracted two different ways. In the area of Sidon, which is north of Israel, they actually got the purple color from a little snail, from the secretions of that snail, they would be able to get the dye uh, to make the uh, color purple. In the area of Thyatara, there was also the availability of a color there for purple, but that was actually from the root of a particular plant that grew in the area. But still, both of those things, very time-consuming, very labor-intensive, so it was very expensive. So Lydia, she has this very profitable business. But the interesting thing, and the thing I want you to get as we look at this this morning, is Lydia was not possessed by the business or by her prophets. Lydia was one who worshiped God. And the Lord opened up her heart to be able to heed the things that were spoken by the Apostle Paul. She received the gospel message. She received the hope of the gospel. And so she received the knowledge of the forgiveness of her sins. And in obedience to the word of God, she and her household were baptized. Now again, I want to be very clear. They were not baptized in order to gain or receive their salvation. They were baptized in obedience to the word of the Lord after they're receiving the forgiveness that was offered by God. We don't know how this was all transferred to her family. I don't believe that her family was baptized simply because Lydia was baptized. But I do believe that, again, the influence that Lydia had, not only in the community, but in particular to her household, the influence of the new life that she had impacted 
her family. We don't know the number of days here. We read this and it's just like sentence after sentence after sentence and we might think, well, boom, she heard it, they got baptized and boom, boom. Well, it may have been days before all of this took place. That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David has been teaching through the book of Acts, introducing you to the early church and how they were radically changed by an encounter with the Holy Spirit. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can listen to more editions of The Open Word. Here's Pastor David. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Would you like to listen to more of them? Well, just visit theopenword.com. You'll be directed to our Facebook page where we're adding all of my previous messages for you to listen to for free. Be sure to like and follow that page and feel free to share it with your friends. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close and ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. Would you pray for us and for our listeners? We know the enemy attempts to hinder the truth of the gospel from being spread. He will stop at no cost to prevent even one heart from turning to Jesus. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Do you live in Casa Grande? If so, we'd love to meet you. Come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande on Saturday at 6.30 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Directions can be found at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks again for tuning in and for praying for the open word.